It was good. I, didn't, I, I, I had an idea from the last time I was here that you all were uh, in the book of Exodus as we shared some of the thoughts together the night before. But I, wasn't, I was told that when I come here, I need to prepare the book of Daniel. And I didn't know that I was going to have the daunting task of doing the entire book, but I figured you guys got the fastest speaking preacher you can find. And so with the Lord's help, we hope to go through the book of Daniel. We probably won't get quite as far as the entire book. But as you can see here, and maybe we can get the first slide up, brother. I just want to take you to this book because, as I always say when I, when I bring forth God's word, is that these are things to me that I am learning by no stretch of the imagination. Are they mastered or complete? A lot of these things are made. Uh, they're fresh to me. I'm learning them. They might have some imperfections, and so I challenge you with confidence to come before me. If you have things you want to add, things you want to correct, uh, I, I, I welcome them. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to study God's Word to me. Uh, I take a lot of pleasure in it. Uh, it's, it's fun to prepare a message. Sometimes it's a lot of, you know, to jam in everything that you're currently studying, but a lot of it is a lot of fun, and I trust that you too are studying God's Word and look to it every day on a daily basis. And if you don't, that's okay. We, we, can, we can work on that as long as we have an open mind to see our, our life with the Lord, our walk with the Lord is more than just a day that you made a commitment but rather a relationship you can give attention to and see grow and develop. However, I got you in the Old Testament part of your Bible, and sometimes I, I look around and I too have an iPad, so I, I can't te technically say I have you in the first half of your Bible if you're holding an iPad, but these are, these are books that far too often are ignored by believers. Sometimes we'll find the dust a little thick on, these, on this portion of Scripture going all the way through to the end, uh, bringing us to the book of Matthew. That is what we need to change, because a book like Daniel, yes, there's a lot of things that when we look at it, our first instinct is, oh, there's so many pictures, and there's so much typology, and there's so much symbolism, I won't understand it. Therefore, I shouldn't read it. See, the thing is, sometimes, brothers and sisters and friends, the Word of God is meant to be taken for what it is. It is a book on itself. It stands alone. And so it has value on its own. So if you read it, you don't have to know all the typology or all the symbolism. Praise the Lord that we deal with a God who gives enlightenment and opens our eyes little by little, right? I mean, some of us, we, we, we study it. We don't get it right at first. There's nothing to be said about that. Sometimes we're so concerned about the meaning of the things in God's word that we, get to, we forget to appreciate what it says. Uh, that's what we want to change because the book of Daniel, it is powerful. It is a lot of prophetic things, a lot of powerful things that when you get a grasp on, oh, is it so much fun to know the future and some of the things that are going to go on, some of the things that have passed. But brothers and sisters, there's a lot to be appreciated because, believe it or not, this book is not all prophetic. As a matter of fact, most of the time, half the stories are mentioned in that back room back there. A lot of it has to do with your Sunday school. And you look at it, the first thing I think you should always do in a book, and I, some of this might be elementary, and forgive me for being elementary because I don't know each one of you. I don't know where we are. So, because I don't know where we are, I'm going to just throw some things out there that help me. And again, you can add to this. You can take away from it as well. What I do, it's like any good student I would imagine, is to make some type of a table of contents. Why do I do that? Because uh, if you've noticed, the, the books of your Bible, a lot of them are not colored. They don't have pictures. And they, sometimes it's hard to focus, isn't it? To see focus into what is being said in the Word of God before we move on. Uh, I always look at the Word of God and this is not a race. I don't see the point in, in just trying to fly through verses and fly through chapters without understanding what we read. I hope that's the way that you appreciate it as well. There's no sense in saying I've read such and such chapters 
when you don't have a handle on it. Take your time, slow down. A nice table of contents will keep a guy just like me will keep my focus on what the book is about. You see, there's no way I can understand the meaning and the symbolism and all these powerful thoughts. Yes, they go along with it. If I don't understand what the writer is trying to say, just a writer, pick it up for a book. It's a book on its own, and, and, and Daniel is just one example. You like the New Testament? Enjoy the New Testament the same way. Embrace it. Get to know it. Maybe jot down a little note here and there. What's caught your attention? You see, a lot of this I do with Luke. Uh, Luke and I, when we read together, this is what I do with him. I tell him, Luke, what did you read? There's no point in going on further if you forgot already what you read, okay? There's no exam or anything of that nature, but it's things in order to, to help us grow. And so what I've done this morning with the help of Brother Jamel is I, I put this nice table of contents to give us, a, a, just to let you know what I'm looking for. When you're looking to, to study God's Word, this might help. This might be a way to keep your attention from going elsewhere. I don't know if that happens to you. Some of us are in, still in school, aren't we? When we study, how, how many times do we read something and say, man, I forgot what I just read. It happens, doesn't it? This might help a little bit to keep it all in focus. When you're looking for something, it helps to, you know, to, to at least jot something down. You remember the book of Daniel? Remember how much fun it used to be in the Sunday school class? Some of us got to go in Sunday school and hear these stories. If not, you'll hear them for the first time this morning, and that'll be a good thing. You know why? Because I trust that you'll take this book, go back home, and read it. Because let me tell you something, Christians, this book is not just for you. This book is not just for the believer. This is a book for the world. Anybody can pick up a Bible. And you see that there's many people who don't believe in God. That they study this Bible in and out. And what their desire is, is not so much to prove God. Their desire is to disprove God. So this book has to make sense to both you and to those that are without. And it's perfectly fine. God is up for that challenge. Okay? So we have here Daniel chapter 1. You remember this chapter? How many of us remember this chapter? Oh, good. Three or four of us, good. Uh, <laughs> this is when Daniel is recognized. Remember, Sunday, he purposed in his heart not to sin against the Lord, and he didn't want to defile himself with the king's meat and with the king's wine. And he asked for a different diet, and he was vindicated. God, God came to him and blessed him with tremendous knowledge, and as well as he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then you get to Daniel chapter 2, isn't it? It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun because this Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2 is a dream image. You ever have dreams before? These kings had dreams. A lot of these dreams came because they had problems. You can't sleep at night. Sometimes they say, whoa, what's going on in your life? You're having these dreams. Honey, honey, can you do me a favor? Can you get me water, please? Thank you. You have, this, you have these dreams. King Nebuchadnezzar was a wise, shrewd man. But he had to rule in a, in, a, in a nation, Babylon, a tremendously powerful nation. How did he do it? You think he didn't lose sleep sometimes? Make some decisions, have to tell you what to do and get his way. I mean, he had to think. And so he would lose sleep. And so this was a normal occasion, except in Daniel chapter 2, he has a dream that wouldn't go away. And God is calling his attention. And what happens? This big monumental image, head of gold, all the way down, as it, the, the different metals, are, uh, so, uh, silver and bronze and iron, and it goes down to clay, uh, uh, clay and, 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 and iron mixed together. So you have this tremendous image in the, in the plane of which Nebuchadnezzar couldn't make sense of. Then you see Daniel steps on the scene, doesn't he? And he gives the interpretation of that dream. And it's a powerful thing to see the interpretation, how it comes from the hand of God and not from men. But it doesn't end there. You get to chapter 3. 
Nebuchadnezzar gets that re revelation of that wonderful dream in chapter 2 where he said he's the head of gold. He says, great, I'm the head of gold. Let me make an image of gold. Isn't that what men normally do, huh? They take a little bit, they take the whole thing. He takes an image of gold and he puts it in the plain of Dura and he has everybody bow down. You remember that Sunday school story where he makes this big old image of gold? And just so you know, commentators all agree that Nebuchadnezzar was a very small man. So he might have been compensating for something. We don't know what, you know. It's usually they say when you're, you're small, you want to get things that are huge. This man, he had an imagination, and so he did that very thing. But you're only in Daniel chapter 3, are you? You get here and look at chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar now is challenged. And again, he looks at this kingdom that he's made, and he does what any king or any monarch would have done. And he says, look at this great Babylon that I have created. He goes, isn't this great Babylon for me and for my glory? And out of my might, I have built it. You see here, God has to humble him, doesn't he? God humbles him. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Do you remember how God humbled Nebuchadnezzar? He made him act like a, 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 an animal, right? And he made him wander in the fields. And he was an embarrassment. Men didn't even know what to do. He went from being a high king to somebody who ate grass like an ox. And his hair began to grow long. And his nails began to be long as well. And he, nobody wanted to do anything with King Nebuchadnezzar. His glory was completely gone. You see, he challenged God. And that's only chapter 4. Because now chapter 5 comes along, and you have Belshazzar. And you remember Belshazzar? That's the writing on the wall. We use that terminology even to, to this day. When things are coming to the end, what do they say? Boy, that project, I can see the writing on the wall. That's from Scripture. That comes from Daniel chapter 5. And it lets you know that what was happening there was Belshazzar takes these, these vessels of gold, doesn't he? What did he do? He gets a grand party. And then the writing comes on the wall. And here comes good old Daniel. And he interprets the dream for him. And he says, Meany, meany, tackle you farsin. Your, your kingdom is weighed in the balances and found wanting. You, your kingdom is done. And God has to deal with Belshazzar. Unlike he did with Nebuchadnezzar, he has to eliminate Belshazzar out of the picture. And then chapter 6, you have Daniel in the lion's den. That's a phrase that's even used of the entire book. You see, if you pick up any commentary... They'll say that the entire book of Daniel is in the lion's den. It's under critics. And so you find here that Daniel, remember, he tries to honor God. And, and, and men were envious of him. And so what they do, they put together this entire plan. And they have Daniel put, put in a position where he has to choose between God and the, and, the, and the law of the land. And the king puts out a severe judgment. He says, whoever doesn't obey is going to have to be thrown uh, into, into the, the lion's den. So Daniel, remember, was miraculously delivered. Do you remember that? where he, didn't, he slept an entire night in the lion's den and nothing happened to him. I mean, these are all elementary Sunday school stories, but my, are they impressive. My, do they hold our attention. And for that reason, I picked this book. Trust me, I need as much help as I can get. Sometimes it's hard to read, isn't it? But it's fun when we start putting it together and we see how the stories develop and we can see how the stories connect. But you're only in chapter, uh, chapter 6. Chapter 7 and 8, you have these animals. It's almost as if you're introduced to a zoo. Here it is. You have lions in chapter 6, animals in chapter 7 and 8. I mean, you can't get enough of it. I don't know if you like animals. I like to look at animals. I like to appreciate animals. And so does God. In preparation of his book, he thought of you. And he put there a bunch of animals of which, yes, they might be a little confusing to pick apart all their meaning. But praise the Lord that they can hold our attention. And yes, they do have deep meaning. And they have prophetical meanings. Then you get to Daniel chapter 9. Which is, a, which is usually, this is where uh, somebody who comes in for a one-shot wonder like me, I'll come in here and I'll say, let's turn to the book of Daniel. Let me show you how much I know about 
biblical prophecy. That's not what I'm going to do this morning. But you see here, Daniel chapter 9 is an amazing chapter. It talks about future events. And sometimes when we don't know the future, you know, I remember Brother Horace Campbell used to say, well, it's good to know who holds the future. You know, that's a, that's a good thing. We rely on that. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is convinced he's, a lot of information is relayed to him, a lot of which, unfortunately, brothers and sisters, he's in the same predicament, friends, as us. He doesn't quite understand it all. So that if you think for one moment that you should be discouraged because you pick up God's word, and all of a sudden it all doesn't make sense and it doesn't all click for you right away, join the club, okay? Daniel was a very studious man of God's word. He wanted to. He lost sleep over it. But God revealed to him certain bits and pieces. That I trust he still does today. Never be discouraged in God's word. It's, it, trust me, it is a lot of fun to study God's word. Look at the last point, the writing of truth. That's chapters 10, 11, and 12. The man above the river, somebody who stands above the ebb and flow of life, who is in control of it all. And even though you and I will be the first to confess, we don't understand all this world, the chaos, the decisions, history as it repeats itself. All of this might be a little confusing at first. Praise the Lord. That like Daniel at the end of your life or at the point of your life that you're at now, you can look and say, there's the man above the river. It's the Lord of glory. The same one, brother, that we were mentioning this morning in Revelation chapter 1. You'll find one that stands above it all. And not only that, but if you remember that scene there with his disciples, as Peter would walk on water, not only is he able to stand, brothers and sisters, friends, but this same Lord Jesus that we preach from this pulpit is able to make you stand, which is a, which is a thought on itself, a blessed thought on itself. But if we could go to the next slide, brother. And this is, this is my last slide for you. That one, is, that one is. Okay. As you begin to prepare, I just want you to know that you can begin to pick up on small things, words that repeat themselves, phrases that might have clicked with you when you read earlier, uh, the first mention of something in the book, the last mention of something in the book. As you see these thoughts come together, please, oh please, I beg with you, don't fly over them. These things are not here on accident because as you'll see here, this table of contents that we once had in 10 points can now be turned into something like this. The best thing about studying God's word is that there is no wrong answer for you. This is your study. You're taking this book or books or however you want to do chapters, however you want to break it up in your own study. And you'll see how you'll be able to develop things like this. Now that we know what's going on in the book, thank the Lord that we can begin to put things together. And you'll see that the book divides itself perfectly in half. And as you can read up here, uh, it goes from the administration of Babylon to two images. And then you have two kings that are disciplined. And there you have, my brothers and sisters, history. The end of the Babylonian era. That's history. That, you can pick up a history book. And then the second half of the book is just as exciting. You have the administration of Medo-Persia, also in your history book. Some of us are going through social studies, American history, and all that. You can see this all. You can pick up a Bible, yes. But you see, the, be the best thing about some of these prophetic books is the fact that God... Uh, he's, he's, fine, he's fine with the challenge. You want to pick up secular encyclopedias? You want to pick up books and, and Google it like they say? Go ahead. It's all there. Trust me. I've done a, a, quite a bit of it just to see if it's even accurate. It's amazingly accurate. God is up for the challenge. Medo-Persia, the second kingdom comes in. Now you don't have two images, but you have two visions of animals. And then you don't have two kings disciplined. But brothers and sisters, you have two writings explained, and then you come to the end of time. Uh, or, or, or like Daniel would say, the end. And then if we could just go back to the first one so that everyone has something to look at. I want to take you to Daniel chapter 1. 
And I did all that, and again, brothers, sisters, friends, I know that some of us here are saying, some of this is very elementary. I'm surprised that when you have a 40-minute message, you would take five, 10 minutes to do this. I have gotten tremendous reception from those that we have gone around. Thankfully, the Lord has used us mightily up and down the state of Florida. Uh, we go around and preach a little bit. I have gotten nothing but tremendous reception to just be going back to elementary thoughts. Uh, sometimes we need that, don't we, brothers and sisters? I think Peter would agree. He goes, even though you know all these things, he goes, I don't hesitate to put you in remembrance of them. And so I pray that you would forgive me if some of these things were a little elementary. But this is the way I, I approach the book. And as you can see, it might work for you. It might encourage you. And if it did, that's what I, that's, then it's, we served its purpose. And, and hopefully, if you can take that with you, praise the Lord. That's what I wanted to leave with you. I've gotten tremendous reception. The saints at my, my local assembly have said that they've been very helpful. Uh, and so I pass it on to you, and I pray that you would benefit from it as well. But we are in Daniel chapter 1, and we have a lot of ground to cover because there are 12 chapters to this book. And so as a good stu as a student of the word, what we usually do is that you can read the first, book, first verse of the book, and then you can kindly turn to the last verse of the book, and then all you have to do, brothers and sisters, is fill in the gaps. And, 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 and that, as you can see, might be a little difficult to do, but it is fun to keep a focus. You know how they say, when the light is at the end of the tunnel, you know where to walk, you know where you're going. Brothers and sisters, take the challenge. Study God's word. Don't feed off only here. Because this is what's, what the problem is, you're going to go hungry. And, and the thing about God's word is it grows. And, and it gives your appetite grows. And thank the Lord, because I just want you to know that I hope you hold to the fact that this Bible is not just some fairy tales, good stories put together. I hope you hold that these are true words from above. These are God's words. These are growing words. They're, meant, they're not meant here just to entertain us. We're meant to learn. As I told somebody the other day, and you would have been proud of me, as I, I walked with somebody through the gospel, I told them, you know, I, I can't physically take you to the Lord Jesus. I, I can't. I can't physically walk you over and say, that's the man I believe in. That's it. And this, is for, this is the reason. This is what he does for me. Uh, so on and so forth. I trust you're in the same, you have the same problem I do. So how do I know about God? Well, you have to study his word. You have to be patient. We're each at different levels, but praise the Lord, we each have the same God that will reveal to us what needs to be revealed. Sometimes it's in the small things. Don't pass by them. We're going to see value in that. But let's read, if we would, because uh, the book of Daniel is not just some old, dusty book written by an old, dusty man who, uh, uh, who's out of, out of date, out of time. Uh, no, this book is very applicable for today, the day that we live in, and I'm going to show you how. In verse 1 you have here, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. So you have nothing here fancy. Your history books would all agree. Nebuchadnezzar came in and he pummeled Judah. And he did, there's nothing real special about that. But then you do have something monumental in verse 2. And I don't want you to fly by it. I want you to appreciate it. It says... And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into, the, into his hand. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that Daniel, that Daniel is accurate in saying what he said? There is no one in this room who even minoring in history or anything to do with world history. They couldn't put an obvious objection to that or an obvious rebuttal to that. You see, Babylon was no backyard country, no backyard civilization. A lot of us still hold the benefits of Babylon. 
and their intellect and their logic and their education and their, system, their world system. A lot of us still do it. You see that clock right there? As it's divvied in 60s and 60 minutes, that comes from this era. They were no backwards people, I tell you that. And so when the historians look at this book and they read something as this, when they look at Daniel and say, Daniel, you're telling me that God gave Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. They look at the pros and cons against. They compare each civilization. They say Babylon was light years ahead of Judah. They had the AK-47s. They had the tanks. The, the atom bombs. They had the, the equivalent, whatever you want to say. And what, ten part Judah. Well, what do they have? Bows and arrows? I mean, it was, it was a, a no-compete. There was, no, was absolutely nothing Judah could have done to protect itself. What do you mean this God? And now you find the first monumental movement in this book. Brothers and sisters, friends, do you believe in a God that's in control of history? Do you believe that there's a God who is, is not only at the individual level, as we like to preach the Lord Jesus to individuals, but do you believe that there's a God who controls at a global level, who, who things happen because he permits them to happen? Do you believe that? Well, how would you go about preaching that? Would you preach that in education? I mean, any type of, uh, my, even at Miami-Dade Community College, I'd be afraid to preach such things sometimes. But do you believe it? I hope you do. Because it's true, brothers and sisters. Friends, this is not just from fairy tale. See, Daniel felt, uh, when he penned these words, yes, he inspired, but they were true to him. He believed them. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have taken Judah unless God had given it to him. Now, the problem is, you live in a world that doesn't believe in a God who rules, who has power over history. And they believe that things are done by chance. You ever heard anything like that? Evolution, where things come together on chance, and we're all here because if nothing became something, and something became, you know. Do you believe that? And I tell you, if you do, you're going to have to try to find ways in your own spiritual walk to start defending some of these truths. Because when you're contended with, you're not going to have mom and dad there to help you and give you the, the little tag-in that we usually have when we're kids. You're going to have to learn to defend that on your own. And you're going to be personally responsible to be able to go to God's word and show, beginning with yourself, how these things are true. You see, because Daniel was going to live in a world that's very much like ours. He was going to live in a world where, look, everything was taken away from Daniel. Let's face it. His family probably was subject to the, to the, to the war, to, to, to what happened. We don't hear anything about his parents. Some commentators believe that his parents were done with. They died. So Daniel was alone. And not only was he alone, he was in a different land, under a different rule, under different laws, under a different educational system, under a different monarch. How was he going to honor God when all these things are against him? And the best thing about it is as you read this book, you'll, get, you'll begin to pick up on little things that made up Daniel's faithfulness. Because let me tell you, the United States has a lot of good things, doesn't it? Oh, amazing thing. I love, I lo we love it when we look at these things. However, I want to tell you that you live in a world that is contrary to that of the Lord Jesus and contrary to anything that the Word of God stands on. If you don't believe me, you step outside these doors. You embrace anyone. You preach whatever you, you live how you live. Leave me alone. I'll live the way I live. There's many, road, there's many roads to God. I'll take my road. You take yours and we'll be fine. See, there's a problem in that, isn't there? It's hard these days to walk for the Lord. It's hard to be a Christian these days. But it was hard for Daniel. Let's face it. He didn't have it easy. But somehow in this book, from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 12, God calls him by his name. Daniel. Daniel, he calls him. God understands that throughout the entire thing, not only did he keep his personal testimony, 
But brothers and sisters, he kept his public testimony. He stood for God, and he didn't do it behind closed doors. Nothing wrong with standing behind closed doors. But there's many a believer these days that they pray for their food, they read their Bibles, they keep things in their house in order, thank God for that, but they've long since lost their public testimony for the Lord. You see, when it comes to out there, they're perfectly fine letting the world live the way it lives. I'll live the way I live. I hope we're not there. You know, I hope you haven't gotten to the point where, you know what, I just live for myself and let the Lord keep me a handful of my days, however many days that is. And that's it, God. It's just between you and me. Because you see, Daniel, when faced with adversity, he had to make the public decision. And you know what? They'll do everything to him. And they'll do it just like they do to us, except Daniel stood. So brothers and sisters, if you ever wanted an example, you can find it in Daniel. Daniel will give you that help. If this book will help you, the study of this book will help you, then let's, let's go on and study it. Then we come to verse 2. And just like anything else, brothers and sisters, as you read it, you've got to take your time, but sometimes time doesn't permit, so we fly by things. Look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, which part of the vessels of the house of God, which carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Now, if I was writing this book, and I had the half of the reputation that Daniel had, I'll tell you what. I don't think I would have taken the time to write anything about vessels. Because what would be better to hear than me? Talk about me. I, Daniel. I, Daniel, did this. And I, Daniel, overcame this. And I, Daniel, did this. You see, but that's not what Daniel does, does he? Look at these vessels. Imagine the verse wasn't even there. You might have even right by it, huh? You ever ask yourself what these vessels are even there for? <laughs> I did. These vessels, they, they, if you if would have put it out of Scripture, you know how they say, you, you probably wouldn't have even noticed it. But that's the beauty of Scripture, isn't it? Because sometimes the big things, oh, they're amazing. They're tabernacle. How beautiful the tabernacle is and how we can dissect it and the truths that come out of it. You can't miss the tabernacle, can you? Otherwise, you might have well cut off the second half of Exodus and Deuteronomy for that matter. So you can't miss those big things. But also, isn't that the beauty of Scripture when you see the little things? I tell you, in your personal Bible study, whatever level you're at, if something catches your attention, stop. Because in science, isn't that the beauty of science? We had our brother David over at our chapel a couple weeks ago. And we're still reaping the benefits of that, right? Uh, uh, and he mentioned something miraculous. It's the little things. Remember, bro, you mentioned about DNA. How do you think they found that? It's, it, 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 we, we trusted DNA wasn't always around, was it? No. Some scientists pinpointed these things, saw this, it led them to a window of opportunity, and lo and behold, the windows were open. Isn't that the way what God's word is? You can catch something. Maybe sometimes it, it's a dead end. That's all right. It's okay. Sometimes it's not. You see, because these vessels, to you and me, they might have not met much. But to God, they meant everything. Because they'll reappear in chapter 5, won't they? Chapter 5, Belshazzar takes these same golden vessels, and what does he do? He pulls them out. He doesn't put them in his museum. Oh, no. He puts them out on the table, and he loses his head, and he loses his kingdom because of it. Oh, they're important, aren't they? <laughs> now they're important. So we have to go back and look at these vessels. What are they? What are these vessels? What do they teach us? These vessels, if you know from the Old Testament, also in the book of Exodus, a lot of the vessels of the house of God were made of gold. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. But you see, that, what that symbolized was our greatest attempt, or God's people's greatest attempt 
at putting together the most valuable things that they had to declare one thing and one thing only. Is that they valued God as supreme, as absolute value. They had God at the highest level and they did it and they demonstrated it in the best ability as they could. And a lot of times it came in the simplicity of these golden vessels. You see, they knew that. God's people all knew that. You couldn't go to the house of God and be like, let me borrow some cups. I'm having a party. I'm having a get-together. It wouldn't happen. They wouldn't let you do that. Those things were designated. They were ordained. They were for God and for God's purposes only. And they declared to the people and to those that, used, that were around the service that God was of the utmost value. Is that important today? Is God being the utmost value? Is that important? Or is he just something else in your life? See, just another thing that we can, as long as it's convenient, oh, I'll, I'll continue. You see, because the one thing you hear about history, and you hear it over and over again, and the U.S. somehow, as you, I get older, I, I, I hate to think like this, but I'm, I'm becoming, a, I think, a little more educated. We, we begin to think that nothing ever can happen to us. Nothing ever, we'll never get in a predicament where we'll have to be standing up for the Lord like these men did. It could happen, couldn't it? We might be, we, some of us might live long enough to see this happen. Who knows? I tell you this, that to Daniel, it was the key to his success. He thought God a supreme value. Nebuchadnezzar, what did he do? You see, he got those same golden images. And Nebuchadnezzar was a monarch of monarchs. And he did what he normally did. He would go to any land. He would take it over. He would, he would demonstrate all kinds of power. And then he would look around and all the good things. That, 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 that. And he would take it for himself. And what did he do? He's like, he, he did exactly what all museums in this world are do, do, right? They take a bunch of stolen things and they put them together and they glorify them, right? So he had in some hallway, in some museum in Babylon, 12 row 8, you know, whatever it is, he had a museum and he had designated there a little wee part named Judah. So that when he brings those that he cares about, he walks them around and here's my victory of this and there's my victory here and so on and so forth. You would do it too. If I was a monarch, I would do it. Who doesn't want to be known for their prizes and their possessions? It's all through history. Many a king has done it. You see, but when he looked at these vessels, he knew that they came from the house, and he knew that there was some value in them. But he didn't have the same value as Israel. So he took something that to God's people meant everything, and he made it common. He just put it in his museum. You see? Is there a danger in that? Putting God's things... And making them common, or relativizing them, or making them relative, making them common. I tell you, Daniel brings it up in this book. You see, because sometimes we have lesson upon lesson. I hear some radio programs. Oh, I do. And they talk about values. And they talk about the value of the family, and the value of this, and the value of the human life, and so on and so forth. And you begin to get lost with this value. How can we learn? What can we learn about this? You see, Daniel brings it up, doesn't he? The first movement was monumental. Yes, there is a God who's in charge of history at, a, at an individual level, at a global level, but there's more than that. He begins to express values. And you see, you, when you look at it, is there anything absolute? Is there anything of the utmost importance? Well, Daniel believes there is. And so he begins there. And then you have the reoccurrence in chapter 5. But before I can take you there, I want to take you to chapter 2. Chapter 2, you have this dream image. And his dream image goes from the head of gold. Some of these things might be new, and that's good. Because if they're new to you, that means that you have homework. This, you go from the head of gold all the way down. 
And you know the description of it? It says, it says Nebuchadnezzar, there'll be another world empire after you. And then he uses this word, he says, that'll be inferior to you. You know what that means? It's values. Inferior is a comparative word. It's a word that you put two things against. If it's better, it's better. If it's worse, it's worse. It's inferior. It's comparative. God is now going to show his value. Not only is he supreme, but he too has a great book for the world empires that are of the old ancient history, doesn't he? And he'll say, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. You're the A plus amongst the crowd. And then in chapter 6, you have Medo-Persia. And it's followed by you know, Rome and Greece and so on and so forth. And then you have historian after historian. And I love this because, again, a brother David helped me out as he brought some of these things to light. Uh, historians have compared world history you know, against world history, you know, these world empires against other world empires. You see, because we didn't arrive at democracy by chance, did we? No, I hope not. You see, because in the first part of this book, Nebuchadnezzar is very clear. Whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he slew. He was an absolute monarch. I don't know if you prefer to live there under that kind of rule, or would you like to live under the Medo-Persia, which is what? The law of the land, right? Which neither changes, nor can be, nor can be altered, nor, nor breaketh. Which one would you prefer? Would you prefer a king that if you made him happy, he gives you what you want? And if you didn't make him happy, he didn't need two-thirds vote. There's no House of Representatives. There's no Congress. No, you'd have your head roll. See, the historians, they're not even believers. Historians have compared. Some of them are believers, but they've compared. You see, God predicted it the entire time. And he values. He puts value on these kings. But it doesn't end there. For in chapter 3, you have another. It's, not, it's no longer a dream image. Friends, chapter 3, when you look at it, it's now a literal image of gold. And I love this chapter, don't you? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be forced to probably close with this chapter. I love this chapter because it's, it's one of my favorite Sunday school stories of all time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Imagine how exciting it must have been to be those men because sometimes we look at these books and these stories and we say, Man, they, they never suffered. These men never suffered. They stood for God and they never suffered. I've never read any, any more baloney in my life. Because this chapter, friends, brothers and sisters, deals with the greatest value question that could ever be asked. You see, because these men were being asked to bow down to an image of a king. But these men knew the word of God. And they knew the book of Deuteronomy. They knew the law, the book of Exodus. And they knew that their God said, you shall have what? No other God but me. And then he also said, you shall not bow down. And they knew that. They could not compromise with that. But yet when we look at these stories, oh, they're so exciting. The problem is, brothers and sisters, is that when they went through it, they didn't have this chapter in its entirety. They usually say, and I've said it before, that the problem with Job was that he didn't have the first two chapters of Job. He didn't have it at his life. He didn't know he was being tested of God. He didn't know that at the end God would deliver him and spare him and bless him. He didn't know that. So his actions all came about just like these men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they stood before the king. And they said, oh, king, because we're not careful to answer you concerning this matter. If our God... If he desires, and he'll save us, and good. If he won't, know this, O king, 
that we shall not bow down to your image. And men will look at this story and say, oh, this is glorious. They didn't suffer at all. Oh, it is, it's quite the opposite, you see. Because these men, was, they're not a firefighter for Orange County, I'll tell you that. No, 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 no. These men were the upper echelon of Babylon. They had it all, didn't they? They had the education. They had the power. They had the money. They had the family. They had the friends. They had everything. You see, now the king comes with this decree. And, for the first, and one of the first times in their lives, they're going to have to decide before the people whether they're going to honor God or they're, going to, or they're going to bow. And could you imagine what that must have been like? Where are, where are the families at? Could you imagine? Yeah. Imagine going home and talking to your wife. Think about it. I mean, how long do you think this, this big, big golden image was out for building? You know? Not only was it out for building for quite a while, but you knew. Don't you? I mean, you work where you work. You go to school. Does that insight of information come to you sometimes before it hits everybody else? It happens to me sometimes. I get to know some things that I've oppressed before it happens. It's amazing. It's good. These men knew this decree was going to be made. Could you imagine talking to your wife? What are you going to do? Well, I can't bow. I can't bow. God's word says I can't bow. Well, what, what about us? What about the kids? You could God, wow. You, 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 you can't. You'll be slain. They'll have your head. You'll be thrown in a fiery furnace. You can't leave us alone. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't know. They didn't know. They didn't know what God would do. But they were ready. They, were, they, they, they read the words of Proverbs, and they buy the truth and sell it not. They couldn't bow. It was heart-wrenching. Could you imagine that day when they had to go and they had to kiss their wife for what they thought was possibly the last time or their kids? Would you, I mean, could you imagine? Put yourself there. Have you, are you there? Are you there spiritually? Because as much as we take the privileges in this world, it could happen, couldn't it? We could be made to face a monarch that'll say, you are going to bow now and you're going to, because it's happened before. Are you ready? Are you there in your walk with the Lord? Look at these men. Oh, they were saved through the fire. What a God. Because our God, where can he be found? Oh, he can be found in the most unlikely spots, in the fire. Are you going through trials and tribs right now? Are you struggling right now? Pray don't think you're on your own because he's there. And some of these things are amazing to me because they had this and this was the ultimate value question. Because on one side, it was their house, their family, their kids, their wealth, their education. And the, on the other side was God. And they had to decide. Have you made that decision there? Have you decided to yourself that, yes, this is more than just fairy tale? Or is it real to you? Is this word of God, does it really mean something to you? Or do you need something drastic to happen in your own life to somehow that you'll miraculously prove it? You see, because as much as I love these Bible stories, oh, they scare me. To think that if God would have put me in that situation, what would I do? I tell you, friends, today is a day of salvation. You can assess these things. You can look at these things. You can make sense of all these things. God is not afraid of that challenge. You don't have to come by faith because he is a faithful God. He's worthy to be proved. And if you're at your walk with God now and you feel like it's time to grow up, it's time to grow, it's time to study God's word, then get to it, brothers and sisters. There's nobody going to hold your hand anymore. 
Somebody can, oh, there's many a person in this room that can help you. You're going to hold your hand. You've got to be able to defend yourself. Books are written on defending the truth. Pray that these things, although very small and some scattered, I pray that they would add to the, the, the walk and to what we're trying to do here at Boulevard Bible Chapel. And by God's grace and mercy, if the elders do not uh, disapprove, I shall be back in September to finish what I have started. And I will finish chapter 1. And, 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 and then we'll leave it at that and we'll figure out where we go. Thank you for your patience.